call a meeting to order. Uh, Edgewater Firefighters Pension Board meeting Monday, March 13th, 2023, 4 p.m., 401 now. I'm going to ask for a roll call, please. Justin Nichols. Here. David Blair. Here. Herb Epstein. Here. James Binder. And Ron Hayward. Yep. All right, we do have a quorum with four trustees present. Great. All right. Um, at this time, I'm going to ask for any public comments. All right, let it be known that there was no public comments. Um, under our item number three, which is the approval of our minutes uh, from our December 12th meeting, uh, I'm sure everybody's had a chance to go ahead and look over those meeting minutes. Is there any issues? If there's not, I'll ask for somebody to make a motion to approve the minutes. Take a motion to approve the minutes. Second. All in favor? Aye. Minutes approved. All right, moving right along. On to new business. Um, we have a few things here. Um, there was one thing uh, I wanted to bring up that I didn't see on the agenda um, packet or the agenda item uh, for new business, and that was the, um, the letter from Local 4575 uh, requesting a cost evaluation. I'm so sorry. That is my fault. It's okay. Uh, I did forget to put that on there. And that was a cost study for... Yep. So uh, it's going to be a, the um, local uh, the union had requested um, through a letter that I'd forward uh, to administrator uh, for a cost analysis of a COLA. Very much like the one that we did on August 31st in 2016. Yep. Um, I think uh, that would probably mirror... Uh, that evaluation. Um, however, I think there was one adjustment. Was it was a lifetime cola uh, starting immediately, and then a lifetime cola starting three years, deferred for three years. Okay. So the letter says we would like to determine up to four different scenarios. Yes. Hey, Doug. I mean, if if it no additional, and we can just mirror the the one that was done in two thousand sixteen. Um, Yes. Great. Perfect. Absolutely. Yes. You already have it. The contact. Ah, thanks. Um, okay, so yeah, um, I can, we can, you know, um, I actually have the, the letter from 2016, the one that we did, um, so I can, you, I'm sure you have that as well, if you not, I can forward it over to you, uh, I know it was a long time ago, um, and then that will kind of be the basis, I think there'll be a couple of little tweaks to that, okay. possibly, but, um, perfect, uh, I can, we can just look at that and kind of mirror that one, okay, make it easy, all right, sounds good, all right, um, so, I'll, um, yeah, it sounds like, you know, okay. I don't know if Pedro wants you to vote on it or just yeah. consensus, however. Yeah, we'll and I, I think I w I'll ask for a motion from the board to approve uh, moving forward with a cost analysis. Is that the correct terminology, Doug? Yes. Uh, cost analysis Thank for you. a COLA uh, for um, the city and local 4575. Uh, so if anybody has a motion. Make a motion to move forward with a cost analysis for the COLA. 
Seconded. Okay. All in favor? Aye. 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 Perfect. Um, other business under new business is member elected trustee seats. Um, so I had forwarded uh, a email to administrator. Um, I don't know if it was forwarded onto the, the other members or not, but um, this will be my last meeting uh, with the board. Um, and it has been an awesome what, eight years, eight or nine years, something like that. Yeah, um, I have learned so much from this board, um, being on the board, um, so much about this benefit and how great it is. Um, it's phenomenal to see. I'm actually really, really proud. Um, when I tell people, we talk about pensions and things like that amongst, you know, other industry people. Um, I'm so proud to say that I'm a member of this board. Uh, and just because we've done so well, I mean, and, and, and I can't even take any credit for that because it was probably people before me that made some really good decisions by hiring um, ANCO and well, the name before that. <laughs> um, and uh, Bowen and Haynes and having David Kelly uh, be one of our money managers. It's phenomenal. So, And then the partnership um, with you guys as well has been absolutely great. So um, thank you all for the time here and everything that you've given us and given all the firefighters. And I'm sure I'll be sitting out here making public comments at some point. And you guys will be like, gosh, that old guy, get him out of here. He just keeps coming to these meetings, you know. And um, so um, I just want to thank everybody. Um, and I'm sure I'm leaving the board in the best hands possible. And so I can't wait to see how this uh, continues on. So thank you all. Thank you. Um, so with that being said, uh, somebody's going to have to step up into the position of chair. Yeah, I was just going to say briefly, too, that we did send out a request for nominations, um, have not received anything yet. So uh, David said he may have a prospect. If you guys have anybody who would be interested, please forward them to me. Perfect. Um, and we'll get them. Have an email yet? Yeah, I just haven't sent me an email. Okay. Great. Great. Um, and that will be a... What, uh, board elected position, is that correct? Member elected. Or member elected. Yeah, it'll be member elected. But if we only get one nomination, there's no reason to do an election. Okay. So they will just have run unopposed. Okay. Now, what would be the best uh, procedure for moving somebody into the chair position? Since we don't currently, well, I guess we do have a vice chair, right? No, we only, this board only chair. has a chair and a secretary. Okay. So, then so we just need um, to um, um, request nominations from the from the board for chair. Somebody needs to put forward a, a name. Well, since I haven't stepped down yet, I can do that. You sure can. I'd like to nominate Dave Flair as the next chair. Mallet? You can, I'll, I'll get you a mallet. Can you give me a mallet? Yeah, I can probably find one on Amazon. Well, unless these fine, wise gentlemen want to step in. I don't think that would be wise. <laughs> well, when are you going to have to be Dave secretary? Because <laughs> he's the secretary, so now we're going to need a secretary, too. Bender's not here, so. Bender. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, whatever they want. Yep. So, um, I will also then nominate Herb Epstein to be the secretary. I second that. I mean, sorry, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ugh, okay. All right, so there being no more further nominations for chair. Um, all in favor of David Blair being chair, say aye. 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 All opposed? 
All right, so unanimously, David Blair is the chair. There being no more uh, nominations for secretary, um, all those in favor of Herb Epstein being secretary, aye? Aye. Aye. And all opposed, say nay. All right, passes unanimously. Herb Epstein is the secretary. Hey, tag you're it. Well, yeah, I appreciate it, and I yeah, plan on no, I asking you, you lots of opinions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I definitely think it's great. Um, and, you know, after you go into the um, FPPTA, yes, that one, um, I think it's hopefully you continue to become educated in, in the board, and, um, and I know you will. Um, and so uh, I think we're leaving it next time. Well, just FYI, um, Steph in our office um, had to um, <laughs> congratulate Dave on submitting his travel reimbursement form perfectly. Oh, great. Yeah, she's going to use it as an example for other trustees. Oh, I followed directions. Well. <laughs> nice. What a concept. Nice. Great. Okay, awesome. All right, so... Um, I guess that covers the election of officers. Mm -hmm. um, that, does that? It. Thank you. Um, uh, actual expenses report as of September 30th, 2022. Yes, so um, that is going to be submitted to the state with the annual report. Um, you've got your individual um, categories of expenses. Um, overall, you guys did not go over your budget. So I would just need a motion um, to accept the expenses as presented if nobody has any questions. Um, and once it's approved, like I said, it'll be submitted to the state along with the annual report. <clears throat> so it didn't, it didn't appear to me that there was any major surprises in terms of uh, expenses, like nothing was significantly higher than what we expected. Um, so I'll ask for a motion if nobody has any questions. Uh, to approve the actual expenses as presented. Make the motion. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Very Thank good. You. All right. Um, so next up for discussion is prior firefighter service buyback. This has been something that we've talked about uh, on and off um, for a little bit now um, due to some... Um, I guess some, I won't say vague terms, but gray area terminology um, with one of our recent hires who was attempting to buy some time back. He didn't necessarily work for a municipal government, uh, fire department, but still was employed as a state firefighter, state certified firefighter. So we needed clarification before we could really move forward with this. And so we we're presenting it, I guess, to the board uh, for further discussion. And uh, we have Pedro's uh, recommendation here, I believe. Is that correct? Yes, Pedro's recommendation is on the screen. Okay. Um, so, Pedro, are you online? Can you hear me? I'm, I'm here. <clears throat> I'm sorry about that. I'm here. Yes, sir. I can hear you. Okay. So, um, I guess, do you? Is there any explanation you can give us uh, on your um, uh, this credited service uh, buyback? Um, can you just make sure we all understand it, and can you explain it to us on, on what your interpretation of, of our ordinance is? So, sure. So, if, and I 
think you, you kind of summarized it well. So the, the state law and your ordinance allow for uh, purchase of service, uh, prior service as a firefighter. Um, and so that can either be obviously with the city, with another department, with another agency. Uh, it also has the ability um, for essentially to provide equivalent service, um, you know, equivalent to what a uh, certified firefighter would do. Um, and so <clears throat> um, it, it, it's, it's just a matter of, of you know, getting the, the details in terms of what the, what the, what the prior service being um, sought to purchase, what, what it entailed. Um, and then I think, if, if, and I'm trying to pull it up now, and I apologize. I thought that there was also an issue with the fact that this member had um, a defined contribution or a 401 uh, as part of his uh, previous employment for the same period of time. Is that correct? No. No, the, the only issue was that it was a private company that he worked for. Okay, okay. I thought it was, I thought it was both. I'm, I think I'm confusing it with somebody else. Um, so, so it's really just a matter of, um, you know, essentially identifying what the job services and job description was um, and whether that would satisfy the, you know, the definition of what a certified firefighter is here in the state of Florida or, or for, the, for the city, ultimately, which, which should be pretty much the same. Okay, great. Great. And um, so the procedure for verifying this information is that as simple as our administrator contacting that agency and, and or is there, is there a formal process that needs to happen for verification? So I think, I think that, no, there's no, so there's no formal process. Um, I think, you know, essentially we should, we should, we should reach out to the company and, and request uh, copies of the job description um, and, you know, any other relevant or pertinent information uh, that they can provide. Um, and then I think it would just be a matter of, uh, you know, obviously with, with, with my recommendation, my suggestion, my review, um, the board either agreeing or not, right, that, that it would qualify. <clears throat> and then we would have, assuming that, that, that the board believes that it does, um, then we would just have uh, our actuary, we'd have Doug uh, prepare what the cost would look like uh, for the purchase of those years. Okay. Hey, Pedro, um, the form that we send uh, to the member, one page of it, um, they're required to send it to their prior employer. And one of the questions is, was this... Um, a certified police officer or firefighter position and if they check yes we just always take that at face value we don't it's not our normal procedure to, to request a, um, a job description with each of these we typically just take that um, uh, you know certified service form that is sent to the prior employer and that's how we've always done it so I don't know if if in this case do you but even, but I, I mean, and and <clears throat> I'm not disagreeing. I just is it what we've done previously? Has that always been for public sector, or have we done the same thing, something similar, where somebody was working for a private company as a certified firefighter? Well, this is the first one, so it's yeah, it's always been for public sector service. This is the first one I've come upon that right. was private. And that was that. So that was my that was my understanding as well. So yeah. my, my thought and attitude job description is this is a private um, employment position or a private company, um, then 
then that's, that's, you know, I think that would be the only real basis that we would have. Um, for the public employers, it's something similar. There's a job description, but at the very least, they're they're acknowledging that that it is um, it is a certified uh, position. But that so that was my only that was that was the basis, or at least the reason why I wanted to get the job description for this one for the for the private um, relationship. Can you also verify that um, if this private employer? only offer a defined contribution plan and not a defined benefit plan, would that make him ineligible to purchase the time? I'm sorry, say that again? So if the private employer did not offer a defined benefit plan, they only offered a defined contribution plan, would that make this service not eligible for purchase? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, we, you know, honestly, we hadn't even gotten that far yet. I haven't even gotten the employer to fill it out yet. So I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. But as we're sitting here having this discussion, it occurred to me that most private employers don't have defined benefit plans. Most of them are defined contribution plans. And if yeah. that's the case, this may be a moot point. Yes? Correct. That's, yeah, that's, that's exactly where I was. That's, that was why I was asking the question. That's why I thought that it was. Okay. Right. So we just needed we just need to verify that if he was a participant in in a 401, let's say 401k or another form of a of a retirement plan, um, whether or not these years, you know, he received contributions um, and and obviously a benefit, quote unquote. So uh, just real quick, Pedro, just so I understand it too. So even if they he got a 401k and didn't necessarily retire with them. You know what I mean? Um, you know, didn't put in a, a, a fixed set of service, you know, that would meet some sort of formal retirement process that would make him inel ineligible for it? Correct. So state law um, and, and your ordinance uh, essentially provide that if, if the individual, it, it, it's kind of the definition of double dipping, right, which you guys, which you guys I'm sure have heard. Yeah. So it, it's essentially you can't use the same period of service right, for two different retirement benefits. And so um, even though he's retired and, and he's, you know, collecting or he's drawing, the, the, the amount of money that he's receiving or drawing on, et cetera, a portion of it potentially uh, was, was he received contributions while he was working for that position, right? And so, so those years serve as the basis for a retirement benefit. Um, it doesn't matter if it's defined benefit or defined contribution. It's just, is it a basis for a retirement benefit that he's receiving? And so, if so, then those years are ineligible to be purchased uh, back with our plan because then again, it, he would get he would be getting the benefit from the 401 for those you know three, four, five years, um, and then he would be buying back those years and getting a benefit here for the same period of time. So he would have to just basically take his contributions. And run, basically, for lack of better terms, um, an exit service and not receive some. Because with a 401k, don't you have to reach a certain age limit before you could even withdraw anyway? No? For a 401k? Yes. Yes. 
And if he hasn't reached that age yet, he essentially wouldn't necessarily be eligible without penalty, I guess, to even get that money. Or he could roll it over into another tax-deferred account. And right, but, right. He could he roll it over or he could, he could actually draw on it and pay an additional penalty. But, but either way, the money is his, right? He has the money. Whether or not he's receiving a distribution is, is kind of secondary. The, the fact that the money is in his account, in his name, uh, and was only payable to him because of his service as a firefighter for this private company. Okay. That's that's what would disqualify that same period of time from being purchased for our plan. Okay. And and Pedro, can you explain to the board about even if somebody's in the Florida retirement system, the division of retirement, if they choose the defined contribution plan over the defined benefit plan, their service is not eligible for purchase. Is that correct? That's right, right. It's the, same, the, same, the same theory, right? So whether you're in the investment side or, or the DB side, um, it's the same, right? Your, your, your benefit is contingent, dependent on your working, right? You're working as a firefighter or as a police officer or, or you know, whatever category you're, you're, you're classified in. And so that's the same, the same principle would apply, right? That time would not be eligible for purchase um, in, a, in a local law plan, let's say. On the defined benefit side, it's a little bit easier because you know, oftentimes some, somebody can maybe just take a refund of their contributions or um, on the defined contribution side, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to kind of unwind the process. Um, so, so that's, but, but nonetheless, it's still, the same rules apply. Okay. So basically at the end of the day, if he didn't take his contributions and just walk away and he took his contributions plus anything else that was given to him by the employer, then he would be ineligible. Okay. So if he... That's right. You probably understand their plan. That includes yeah. interest earned. He, um, he hasn't taken anything yet. He hasn't rolled it. Well, see, that's he even was... worse because he has contributions on deposit, so he he has a benefit waiting for him. Right. So he definitely can... Whether he takes it now with the pay or he's 52 and or whatever. Right. It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter when he takes it. It's there. It's whenever he's he wants it. To take Even it. if he could roll it into so it's, buying it's not, back. It's not that he's received the benefit already. It's just whether or not he earned the benefit. He's a. He has a vested benefit in something. But they would have uh, where that time was used as a basis. But they would have had to have match, match it or do something like that, right? I mean, because that it's would be my understanding that even if he, even if they earn interest on it, even if there's. I think, Pedro, I've heard this before. Please clarify if I'm wrong. Even if the employer didn't match any contributions, any interest earned on that defined contribution plan is considered a benefit, I believe. That's right. Any, any, earn, right. any earnings would qualify as well as a benefit. I mean, because that doesn't seem like any different than any individual getting a 401k and earnings, you know what I mean, and creating some investment return based on that, you know what I mean? Unless, unless I see them, them actually offering something that the the stock market can't provide him, which would be a matching percentage. Which did they did they match or something like that? Okay, so. So he definitely received the benefit. Yeah. All right. So if he had a defined benefit, it wouldn't be a problem, correct? If he had a defined benefit and he took a refund of his contributions, yeah. he would be eligible. Because that's all you get back is your money. Yeah. All yeah. he got back was what he put in. He didn't get any benefit. And if he did that here, too, it would be the same. Right. But if, if he, he took, took his contribution. Uh, pension, he couldn't. Correct. If he, took, if he took his contributions and 
got the interest. Yeah, then, then he wouldn't be eligible. That's considered a benefit earned. Now he has three years, I believe, in uh, Orange City. FRS. So he would have had to he didn't make his vesting, so he probably took his money. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Would have had well, to. the other thing well, we need to know is because when he was in, when you when you go into the division of retirement to the floor of retirement, you choose between the defined benefit and the defined contribution. Correct. If he chose the defined contribution, again, not eligible. Yeah. Nope. Just sits there until he becomes eligible as age. Well, if, he did, if he could leave. Yeah, he could leave it there until his age, mm -hmm. or if he goes back into an FRS system, mm -hmm. then that will just follow him. Pick up again. I'm not right. really sure. I don't know if it is or not. Okay. Um, so this particular individual that we're referring to in this situation, um, you know, I'm sure at this point you'll reach out to him, kind of explain to him yeah. our findings <laughs> here at the board, um, uh, our attorneys, um, understanding of, of the law and then he can decide at that point if he's going to apply or not and then I guess if he does then we can we can bring it to the board for uh, a vote okay. on if he is applicable or not uh, at our next meeting okay I'll see if he um, if it was a defined contribution plan then it's definitely a no yeah um, and then I'll ask him about his orange city time okay figure okay. try to figure out if he can purchase that and I'm sure at that point, then you can send an email out to individual board members, kind of give them a heads up of what's going on and um, whether or not they're going to be asked to vote on something like this. Yes. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Duly noted. Great. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Mr. Herrera. Thank you, Pedro. Um, yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Up next, Social Security benefit option. This was um, something that David Blair asked me to to put on the agenda, and I did give your um, actuary a heads up. I thought maybe he could. David, you just wanted an explanation, correct? Yeah, we were talking. Uh, someone was asking me about this option, and the way it was worded when you read it, it was kind of didn't really, we thought it would be more, more of a benefit, I think, after we got this. So, Doug, if you want to explain it, maybe how it works. And sure. Since I don't, no one's ever taken this benefit from us. Can I tell him? I don't know. I don't think so. I'd have to look. Um, <laughs> yeah. Here's all the options, of course. Focus on the one that says for retirees lifetime with 120 payments guaranteed. Uh, five six six three nine two. That's we call that the accrued benefit. That's what the member accrued while working here. Three percent for each year of service times their three-year average pay. Okay. So you can take a calculator out and using the information at the top, just take three percent times the years of service times the average final compensation. You'll get to the penny five six six three nine two. Question is, uh, hey, what's uh, what are those two options underneath? Social Security 67 or 64? Uh, we call those level income. You ideally, 
and by the way, we're conservative on this. So you'll front load. So let's say the member chose the 67 version. Oh, well, I'll, I'll take the 5900. It's better than the 5663, why not? But it's only payable until March of 2039. And then it drops in April of 39 to 5100. It's like, oh, man, that's it's like, well, I, was, I could get 5663 or the 5900 for you know 16 years or so right and then it drops that that's the point is theoretically the member they're they're in the age when 67 is their no, normal social security age and they would begin getting a social security check in April of 39 mm -hmm. to make up for the reduction that happens in the pension plan so the the pension amount drops by about 800 a month 5900 to 51 and the Social Security check comes in. The reason I said it's conservative is when we created these options 30 years ago, Social Security is a lot less than it is today. Social Security is bigger than 800 bucks a month. But we want to err on the side of conservatism. We'll say, well, we'll give you a little bit more from the pension, and then when your Social Security check comes in, you add it to that 5100 And so it's, it's a bump, really, at that point. We, we can provide Social Security options that are more refined. If a member says, hey, I've got my Social Security statement. I'm getting 2000 a month. Can you show me these options using 2000 a month? The answer is yes, okay, great. we can. We just err on the side of conservatism and say, well, maybe your Social Security check is going to be 800 bucks. We don't want people getting surprised that that amount in 2039 drops so much and their Social Security check comes in as less than that drop. Then, then they're unhappy. Ideally, you know, this member's probably going to, I'm going to guess, closer to the 2,000 range. So it drops by 800, but then you get 2,000 to replace it, and then everybody's happy. Is that actually a bump in 2039? So if they wanted to do the 2,000, would that be allowable? Uh, I would, we have, we have allowed for a member to, but we want it tied to reality. We don't want them saying, hey, I, I want to bump it up by 10,000. Right. Then you're getting into adverse selection. What, what's happening there is a member might have gotten some information like they've got cancer or something where they think they've got five years left, and they come and monkey with this and say, you know, I'm going to get 10,000. Go ahead. And, so the next thing you know, until 2039, they're getting 15,000 a month. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm creating an extreme example here, sure. but we want to be able to tie it to uh, give a rationale for why we would use something different than our standard conservative options. So if a member comes with a real Social Security statement and says, please create these options using the 2000 at the normal Social Security 67 or 1500 at Social Security 64, then we'll be happy to plug it in and create a little more refinement. Okay. So hopefully that, that explained. These are all actuarial equivalent at the time of con at the time of inception. So this benefit went into effect January 1st, 2023. It's our opinion as actuaries that every one of these options has the same value on that date, given the mortality tables and the conservative Social Security amount. So you can see the 100 joint survivor, for instance, 5,200. That's less than any of the one we've been talking about. That's because this member chose another life to be attached to it. 
so that that 5224 is payable while either one of them's alive. Actuarially, if you take two lives, statistically, both of them, one of them will be alive longer than either of the other. Right. Just based on tables. So there's your actuarial education 101 today. <laughs> Thank you. That makes sense with the, the conservative numbers, what we saw. Like, oh, yeah, it's like, well, my Social Security is only going to be 800. Right, that's what I was like, oh. Yeah. And, and by the way, the final caveat here is this is not tied to Social Security at all. Right. Or when he actually gets it. It's based on, if he chooses this option, that the, the, to the penny, he'll get 590414 until April of 39, and to the penny it will drop to 511036. Right. The only reason that would change is if the city passes a COLA. In the future, if he retires on this amount, it cannot go down by a penny. The city, even if the city shuts the pension plan down, says, you know, hey, extreme example. Has left. Um, there's no cutback in the benefit. It can only go up, say, with the cola. But if, if so, here's the other extreme: Social Security shuts off. But let's say it just doesn't get paid. Mm -hmm. That benefit will still drop to that 5100. That's his choice. Because right. this is pension plan only, Edgewater fire pension. It is there is no link to Social Security whatsoever. We're simply That's trying right. to create options that time with Social Security benefits, but it's not linked. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Next time. Good education. Absolutely. Uh, any other questions? All right. Um, on to number five, old business. Do you have any old business? No, I think we doing good at knocking things off. <laughs> All right. Uh, reports. We're getting to the good stuff. calling it out. All right, so here's the story with your plan, short and sweet. You're still over 100% funded, and the investment loss that you incurred in fiscal 22 is not having any impact right now. Whether it has an impact down the road depends on what happens from this point out. The reason it doesn't have any impact, and you can see the, the city requirement there, in, in fact, not only does it not have an impact, it, it goes, the, the, the results you see seem to go in the opposite direction. The city's requirement for the current year is about 21.8% of payroll. That, take, take the firefighter payroll. All the, we're, we're told right now there's 29 active firefighters. Take all of the pay that they're contributing on, and the city's requirement is about 21.8% of that. For budgeting in 23-24, it actually drops down to 20%. You're like, how in the world? You know, we just took a minus 16 or 17, whatever it was for the year in investment. And by the way, the, the average firefighter got a salary increase above average. 
we expected five to six percent, and it came in like closer to twelve. So you booked a loss, um, and so how in the world is the city requirement going down? But remember, I've been saying this for years since the plan's overfunded, uh, meaning your unfunded liability is negative. The, there's a law in Florida, and I like it, it's, and it will bear fruit over the next couple of years, something called the normal cost minimum. If you're overfunded and you have what would normally be a funding credit, the state says, no, you can't take that credit. Just the, 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 every firefighter that's in the plan every year gets a pay raise and they get an extra year of service. They're getting closer to retirement. They're, that's called accruing a benefit. The benefit's going up every year, and they're getting closer to the value of the benefits going up every year. The state says you still, city, you still have to put money in for those firefighters as they're marching towards retirement. Forget the fact that you're overfunded. and Forget the fact that you have a credit that purely actuarially you could take a credit on and reduce the city's funding. State law passed about 10 years ago and said, no, you have to put in at least what everybody's accruing every year actuarially determined. That will bear fruit in a couple of years because the investment loss in 22 will phase in over four years. Remember, we use a smoothing technique on, on assets. We're not fully recognizing it yet. So as it phases in, there may come a point, it just depends on how you do going forward, but there, right now there will come a point when the unfunded liability does become positive and the city will have an actual requirement that goes up. If you didn't have this minimum requirement built in for the last couple of years, the city's impact would have been higher. It would have been more of a sticker shock. When it happens, it's going to be, it's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. You're in a, you're in a very enviable position compared to most police and fire plans. You're overfunded, and so the impact from investment losses or any other loss is, is really very much diminished. So there, you might be asking, well, then fine, I understand. Why didn't the city requirements stay the same? Why did it go down? Um, because the, um, the administrative expense and what's called the normal cost went down. The administrative expense, that's just how, how much you pay everybody who comes and helps administer your plan, the, the administrator, the actuary, the, the investment consultant, that fluctuates from one year to the next. It actually went down this last year, believe it or not, as a percent of payroll. And the, the, the membership changed in such a way that the demographic, that the new people who came in replacing those who left are a little bit cheaper. Mm -hmm. That explains why it went down from 21.8 to 20. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm basically shot all of my, almost all of the, my presentation material, all of just that little dialogue there. <laughs> I would call it monologue, wasn't it? You guys were just listening. I was talking. Um, I only need to give you an update on one other page. Before I move to that, can I answer any questions so far? Uh, no. No, I mean, it's, uh, I, I hope in here somewhere, I'm sure you have the actual funding ratio. That's exactly where I was going to finish up. Perfect. Yep. Uh, page 17 tells a great story. Um, you have been at or near 100% funded for since 2014. You can see that. 
it's not too often that I can put this chart in with reports and, and the y-axis, the left-hand side, goes to 120%, at least not with police and fire plans. Uh, we were as low as high 70s back in 2011, and even with this report, we're still above 100. Uh, assuming that, you know, going forward, you get your assumption on investment return, which, by the way, is, is at 7%. Just assuming we get anywhere in the seven range going forward, uh, I think your funded status will drop into the high 90s again. Um, but you know we, we've been there before as recently as 2016. It's so what? You're an open plan. You're still hiring new firefighters that are 25 or 20 years away from retirement when they get hired, and to be anywhere close to 100% is great. Um, so. I, I don't have any recommendations for that where I'll finish off. I, I do not have any recommendation for any assumption changes at this point. The last experience study we did was December of 19. Uh, it's about every five years. So we're still two more years away from updating the experience study. And in my opinion, your 7% investment assumption is fine. Um, I think maybe with the next experience study, we'll talk about maybe resuming a glide path and getting it maybe in the high sixes or so at that time. You know, FRS is at 6.7 now. Even they seem to have tapered off how much they're reducing. You know, they went from 7.2 to 7, 7 to 6.8, and then 6.8 to 6.7. So they're slowing down. Uh, but when we do the next experience update in a couple of years, uh, I want to see where they're at maybe rethink, you know, do we want to get a little below seven, which and I'll, I'll just give you the conclusion now. I think it would be good to get down in the sixes, you know, maybe with the next experience study. Um, um, but for any, now, I'm, I'm fine with where you're at. Okay. Is there any changes to mortality tables or anything like that that you see happening in the future, either legislatively or through recommendation? That's a really good question. Um, I know there's a lot of studies being done by actuaries, both on pension and on life insurance side, on the mortality assumption. Because the reality is people are not living longer. You, you, if you're paying attention to any of the news that gets out there, um, there's been a real pullback on life expectancy the last couple of years. And they're trying to figure out source, but especially, this, this would probably be a shock to you if you haven't followed the news, the millennial generation, those born in the 80s and the early 90s, their mortality experience is tremendously high compared to long-term, a term called excess mortality. Uh, the, the number of deaths compared to the tables for that age group is like three times heart attacks, strokes, you name it. And they're trying to figure out you know, what's causing that. But if you look at overall life expectancy, you know, look at graphs, it's really flattening out. People are not living as long. There's this constant, you know, what's built into your assumption now is based on what the Florida retirement system is using. And it assumes better, it assumes longer life every single year. When I come back every single year, there's a slightly greater expectation of living. 
It's called generational mortality. So if, if I run evaluation one year and the average age of death, let's say, is exactly age 85, when I come back next year, it might be like 85.1. Just It's this constant improvement. And it's turned out, really, it's been overly conservative. So the Society of Actuaries, uh, among other groups, is looking at updating mortality studies, including for the public sector side, you know, governmental pension plans. But they're still, still at the study stage at this point. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them come back with some modification in the next five to ten years. I just, there's no predictions right now. Um, and what uh, we are, just correct me if I'm wrong, required by state law to use that mortality table, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. What age is it? Um, it's, if you average everything out, it's, even for police and fire plans, it's, it's well into the 80s, if you average between the current retirees and future retirees. It's, uh, I, I, you know, probably at least easily 85. There's, there's no hard number. It's a set of tables you apply to all the different sure. types of retirements and male, female, age, benefit, salary. It's all factored in, but I easily say it's mid-80s. Um, and then what exact percent of payroll are we right now? For the city? Yeah. Uh, that would be back on page. Yeah, are you talking about funding? Yes. You know, how much yep. the city needs to put in? Uh, well, that and then what is our funding ratio at, at, oh, that's over 100? What is that exactly? Uh, your funded ratio right now is 102.4. 102.4. The city's percent of payroll is 20% for next year. Okay. Yep. That means, you know, the city is like, well, what does that mean in dollars? Well, payroll right now is like 1.7 million. So call it $340,000 or so. For comparison, the city put in 373000 last year. Okay. So there's a lot of stability and funding right now for the fire pension. The city's requirement is, you know, in that 350 range for, for three years running. Okay. The city's contribution, does that include the state money? No. It doesn't. No. So the, we'll call the city, let's just round it off, say 350000 for the next couple of years. The state contribution, the city... Um, the city gets 55000 to help fund the plan. So when we calculate a number, the contribution requirement, okay, state 55000 credit, city 350 Meaning if the state contribution went to zero, then the city's requirement would be 400000 um, Extra, the, the state monies have been going up each year. Uh, so 55000 the city got, to help fund the plan this last year, and 146,000 went to the share plan. So the majority of the state monies that are coming in right now are going to the share plan. How does that compare to, with the um, 185 plan? The police. Plan? Uh, well, they negotiated the city and the police negotiated that every penny goes to the share plan for police. And they, I, their money comes from a different source, though, correct? Yes. Um, auto insurance for the most part. Yours is hazard insurance mm -hmm. attached to property. Okay. So, so our plan has, has some benefit to the city in terms of 
that insurance money being used, and then theirs is going straight to the insurance company. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say, you know, roughly a quarter of the, the fire monies coming in right now are helping the city for fund the plan, and three quarters is going to the share plan. Thank you. Okay, um, I'll call my part, this part done. Um, do you have all your questions answered? Yeah. If you do, um, no, no rush, but if you do, then let's go ahead and approve this report, and then I'll turn it over to John to take you through a little exercise after that. Okay, all right. Um, so I'll ask for a motion to approve uh, the report from our actuary, Foster and Foster. Make the motion to approve our actuary. Report from the actuary. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. That's it. Thank you so okay. much, Doug. I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. I'm here. Okay. Maybe some other things that come up. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. And that's where we're currently at right now, correct? Guys hear that? Yeah. So you want to have it all written down already? So. You guys want to motion make a motion to um, basically stay at seven percent for the foreseeable future? Motion to stay at seven percent. I'll second it. All in favor? Aye. 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 Yeah. Perfect. All right, the good stuff. You ready for me? ready oh boy okay I'd hand it out this is uh, through Thursday March 9th so I'm missing Friday's action in the market and, uh, and today's obviously but I want to hit some super high points because as the trustees here you may get questions back in the shop where's our money we've had three bank failures just like that mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah it's a real eye-opener so this I'm gonna whip around here and just and hit a few few high points which I think are very important Number one, on the first page, middle column, we have 633000 in cash. That cash is not in a bank. It's in a money market mutual fund that owns treasuries. Okay, so it's not in a Truist or a Wells Fargo bank account, which has caused everybody a lot of heartburn. The heartburns come from the Silicon Valley Bank out in California. You know, all the depositors rushed to the bank. The bank had to close, uh, and the feds took it over. So... I think it's important that the board knows that your cash is in a really the safest place possible. That's where it should be. If you're holding cash, you don't want to have any kind of funny business going on. So that's actually a Goldman Sachs treasury-only money market fund. All your securities are held at Salem Trust. You know, they're in your name and Edgewater's name. So we own a stock. It's on the books. It's your stock. And it's held at Salem Trust. Uh, let's go to second last page of holdings okay at the bottom we do own financial service stocks which you can tell your participants so we own no regional banks and none of the problems we have no exposure to the silvergate silicon valley first republic kind of the bad boys okay we own american express blackstone blackstone was actually up most of the day marsh mcclennan which is a property and casualty broker Charles Schwab is under tremendous pressure. Stock's gone from 80 to 40. We're really about, it's about 52 right now. 
we sold that in January at 79 for a small family. 79 for 52. That's $200,000. I mean, knock on wood. Sometimes you get lucky. So we, Schwab's earnings were a little bit light. We were thought, you know, Schwab's an expensive stock. We love Schwab. Um, it's a great company. It's absolutely a blue chipper. But it's been caught up in this whirlwind of banking crisis. So we were fortunate. We did sell out of Schwab. We owned it for years here. We bought it for 35 many years ago, and we sold it out in January of 79. So 52 today. So we dodged one bullet. So two main things. Cash is safe in money market treasury and financial service exposure. We have zero exposure to the bad boys, I'll call them. And um, the ones we do own, American Express, not really in the banking business, uh, more you know, retail credit card. Blackstone's more of a uh, private equity financial service, kind of a large conglomerate financial service company that Marshall owns property and casualty. So we've been kind of fortunate, knock on wood a little bit, uh, to, to dodge the, those bullets. Um, and then my last page is performance. So through Thursday the 9th, the portfolio for our new fiscal year is 8.9. You know, we had a pretty tough year last year, off 15 or 16%, so we're kind of repairing the damage a little bit. Total portfolio 8.9, our stock's 11 and change, the market 10 and change. That MSCI uh, foreign index is up, the dollar's come down. The foreign market has really gone nowhere in 10 years. It has popped up a little bit, probably just for valuation reasons. And our bonds, our fixed income is up 3%, and the market's up 2 If you blend, have a blended balance portfolio, we're 8.8 versus 8.9. So we're kind of holding our own, and uh, certainly we're on target for 7%. Of course, as we all know here, the only day that matters is September 30. You know, can we get the horse to the barn on September 30 with a, with a positive number? I think we'll be positive, but listen, this banking thing is it's a big deal, you know. Um, Silicon Valley Bank was the 20th largest bank. Uh, we had a run on deposits, and on the management side of the bank, the bank had invested a vast majority of their assets in long-term treasury couple of years ago when interest rates were super, super low. Federal Reserve kept low rates in, uh, you know, 2020, 2021. We were still talking about transitory. Inflation wasn't going to be here. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, 12 months later, we have tremendous bump-ups in interest rates. And you've seen, well, from last year, the bond market was all 15%. So here's a bank that had a billions in long-term treasuries, and they lost at least 10 to 15% of their value. So when the bank loses value on their portfolio and deposits start going out the door, and then there's a whisper that the bank needs to raise capital. It's over, especially in this environment where Twitter and emails and texting, it was a very small, I say small, it was a big bank, but it was kind of a small community out in California, really kind of a high-tech venture capital type bank. Um, that was it. Closed in 24 hours. It's really stunning. And now Silvergate was kind of the first one. And I'm, I'm saying that we didn't have any exposure. We don't. But believe it or not, uh, there are, there's a manager out there that owned both these banks. Stock went to zero. Uh, this bank, uh, the SVB, we'll call it, Silicon Valley, stock was at 590 a share in the last 12 months. And today it's zero. Wow. Bonds were trading at 85 to 100. 13, I got, I was texting on the way down here from the bond trade. They're trading at $13. So the stock goes to zero. Bonds almost go to zero. 
So this, there can be a lot of damage. And I have seen one manager of both name, both SVB and Silvergate that both has gone to zero as well. So it can be a kind of a crazy world. Now the silver lining is, I think the Fed's probably certainly going to slow down, if not halt, the, the increases. Said over and over again, or you read over and over again, the Fed's going to raise rates to slow the economy, slow employment, kind of cool things off until they break something. Well, guess what? They broke it. They broke it. In, in our opinion, um, they may still talk a little bit of a big game, but but think about the deflationary effects on what's happened. This is the 20th largest bank. The equities have gone to zero. The bonds are going to zero. That's billions and billions and billions of wealth wiped out to individuals and companies. And think about the shock to the system of those private companies that the bank with the, with the firm. You know, they're, they're uptight. Um, they're not excited about the economy, what's going on. And, of course, here we are talking about today, bank failures. And that's a, it's kind of a big deal. So the silver line is the 10-year treasuries come back down. The market's saying that the Fed's done plenty and will probably go slow or probably maybe no more increases and go a little slower from here on. Energy's coming down. Housing's cooling off. Mortgage rates, as we know, are up, but they're circling back down a little bit. But everybody, this causes a kind of a kick in the teeth. Everybody's kind of frozen here to see how things, to see if another shoe drops. We certainly don't want to need another bank failure. The other good news, I say good news, the FDIC and the Treasury stepped in and they have guaranteed all the deposits. Unlike back 08 and 09, the Fed came in and kind of guaranteed some stock, you know, the, the bond, stocks, the bonds, the management. Now the, uh, the Fed, government's really just focused on depositors. No matter what amount of money you had in any bank right now, it's covered. I thought that was a cap. Was a cap. cap was 250 they waived it. They just didn't want it. If you think about it, think, you know. FDIC. They, yeah, F I thought it was a cap. 250 but they waived it. And it makes sense because think what would have happened. I'm glad they thought through this, and we had talked about it a firm over the weekend. So if you have over 250 at a bank, you know, plenty of companies have payroll, they have millions. I think Roku has 37 million at this bank. Uh, they're about to pay payroll. Couldn't do it. So if they didn't waive the cap, then everybody, every individual, every company would go out and open 10 accounts to get the, the dollars down below 250. So if you had a million dollars at Wells Fargo, you go spread 750 over three banks. And those three banks, if you had a million in truest, you'd bring the money over to Wells Fargo to, to, to um, you know, spread it all out, source it all out. So I think it made sense just to just, just, just kind of stop the music, backstop all the deposits. But we're not going to protect the stockholders, you know, the shareholders of any of these banks or the bondholders. So it's kind of a... A little bit of a sea change, and it's kind of important. So they protect the deposits and nobody else. So it's it's caused a pretty good disruption. Today, the market was relatively flat. It was actually off a couple hundred points and up a couple hundred points. I think the overriding factor is longer term. Having lower interest rates and maybe a stop from the Fed might might really collapse it. I mean, it's a pretty good wake-up call. And so, you know, going forward, you know, we feel it's just going to be a wait and see, honestly. We don't perceive or see other problems. Um, we do think this is a little bit unique. The California bank was very closely held, close, a close client base. There were a lot of venture capital guys, uh, technology guys. They had huge amounts of money at this bank. Over 90% of the deposits were over the 250 level. Uh, at Schwab, for example, 
80% of their clients have under 250. So it's a the bank had high, high deposits, and um, and on their asset side, they, they were just investing poor, frankly. Um, and then the whisper, and there was some going to be some pain at the bank. Ooh, is Carl, is that a blinker? <laughs> he said a blinker flew. It's, hey, Pedro, it's right on red, buddy. Go. <laughs> so. You need more blinker fluid. Um, it's hard to predict right now, but we feel, I mean, the market took it pretty well in stride. You know, the market's kind of flat today overall. You know, our conservative names just did fine. Uh, if you were having regional banks or some of these bad boys, I mean, it's, it's going to be tough sledding. It would have been tough sledding. So those are my comments. We, are, we got a little powder dry. You know, we're at 8.9, so let's call it 8. And can we get it to the house at 7? You know, I think it's just doable. Um, any question, or I have a question about, um, do you foresee any shift to international markets uh, moving forward? Um, you know, I, I know there's a big change with petrodollar. Yeah. Um, is that going to affect maybe investment policy moving forward? I would say eight years ago, we were about 23% foreign in this plan and for a variety of reasons. We lightened the load on international. That was a big winner for us. Sure. It has not been a winner in the last six to twelve months. We just don't we don't see the opportunity there. We we do see the fact and understand that over the last ten years the US market has annualized over ten percent and the foreign market's annualized at four. So when you analyze it four versus ten over ten years, I mean it's triple quadruple the money. So we get the fact that some money is probably listed over there because it's so it's such a value, but we just don't see the, the, the dynamics really in emerging markets. Uh, Europe, I mean, you know, is there anything really going on in Germany and the UK that kind of get us excited for business? Not, not really. Now, could, could, could some of the stocks look like a pretty good value? Maybe we just haven't dipped our toe back in. Japan, you know, that's, that's our job. We're a core equity manager. We don't have to, you know, buy Pepsi and Coke here. We can go buy. You know, Nestle overseas, so we can do that. We just haven't found that to be our spot yet. I'm not saying I'm not going to come in here and have three or four or five international names. We could, but it just seems like um, we still feel like the U.S. is the place to be. But I, I agree with you. Long term, petrodollars, reserve currency, those are kind of big picturey kind of things that keeps it, keeps us up at night. Um, it would take a long, long time. I guess the BRICs are trying to come up with something. You know, if you take India, China, Russia, Brazil, could they come up with a concert a currency that we all feel comfortable with? Mm, it would take a long time, you know, really, because this is a the historical fact is, you know, basically the you know, law and order, and we have the structure here, and that's why we have the reserve currency. It could happen over time, so we'll be kind. So. Okay, great. Anything else? No, I think that's it. Yeah. Well, well, Justin, you get to leave here with a 100% funded plan and drop the gavel and move on. That's so you get it. to pass the time. Enjoyed it. It's been a good run, and I thank you so much for everything. You've done a phenomenal work. Eight years, and uh, we've yeah. enjoyed the relationship. Awesome. Thank, thank, you. thank you, sir. Uh, I'll ask for a motion to uh, approve the Bowen and Hain uh, report. Make the motion. All in favor? Aye. Aye. I second. John, did you want to talk to us about your report? Is that what's up next? I didn't even look.
Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thank Scott. you. Perfect. All right. So moving on. Um, Pedro? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, we didn't think John. Uh, gotcha. James was not here. He was just a reiteration. Um, Mr. Herrera? Can you believe us? Pedro? Got the hood up, put the blinker fluid in. Do you know what the Secure 2.0 Act memo is? Any questions about SECA? Um, yeah, it's <laughs> um, the Secure Act point 1.0, mm -hmm. but it's 2.0. Right. So, so everything that was in 1.0 is double. Hmm. Yeah, very good. Yeah, the RMD. And there actually is quite a few things that are good for the fire and police. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and also the normal age, or the, yeah, the. Yeah, so the RMD age was increased to, you know, 73 up to 75, and then um, in future years. But 
before, you're, um, if you were to, like for your share plan and your drop, if that's considered a, well, whatever. If you take a lump sum out of that, before age 55, you get hit with a 10% penalty. Okay. But police and fire, first responders, um, age 50. were exempt. As long as you work, as long as you work to age 50, you wouldn't get a penalty. And they ex they expanded that to to say it's not only tied to age, it's uh, 25 years of service. So you don't necessarily, if you hit 25 years of service before age 50, that would exempt you from that 10% penalty as well. Okay. Um, health insurance deductions, you guys get, uh, and when I say you guys, I mean first responders, a $3,000 tax credit on health insurance premiums when you retire. So when you go to file your taxes every year, you can claim up to $3,000 in health insurance premiums that you paid the previous year, and that's a, you get a credit for it. And the law used to say that those health insurance deductions had to have come directly from your pension benefit, had to have been deducted directly from your pension benefit, and they did away with that requirement. So no matter how you pay for your health insurance, you still get that $3,000 tax credit. I know that. Herb, did you know that? Uh, I actually did know that, yeah. Yeah, there's... there's I didn't say that. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, Urban our, our tax references get you. Um, carry along. Oh, disability benefits. Um, uh, it's page 208. Yeah, so once you reach normal retirement age, um, some plans will switch your disability benefit to a normal benefit. And in certain instances, your, your, your tax-free status is... Michelle, I'm here. Oh, are you? Okay, good. Welcome can, back. Can you hear us? I'm sorry. Yes, I can hear you. I had to get off and get back on for some reason. I could hear you, but you guys couldn't hear me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, take it away. <laughs> okay, um, so so I think Michelle did a better job than I could. So <laughs> just, just to follow up, <clears throat> the, uh, the Secure Act 2.0, uh, it, it does change the required minimum distribution age. Uh, so it increases it once again, if you guys recall. It was um, age seven and a half back in 2019. They changed it to uh, increase it to age 72. And now with this latest iteration of the, uh, of the Secure Act, uh, it has again been changed or increased to now age 73, and then by 2030 it would be age 75. So again, we're, we're practically speaking, administratively, fiscally, <clears throat> it's not going to have an impact or effect on our plan, uh, but we do need to uh, amend the ordinance to, put, to comply with the new uh, provisions of the Internal Revenue Code um, and then maintain our tax exemption. So, uh, we'll, we'll prepare that amendment for uh, for the plan. Um, it also, like Michelle mentioned, it does allow for that $3,000 deduction, um, except now the, the SECURE Act removes the requirement that the payment be made directly by the pension plan to the insurance company. So now individuals can make that payment directly to the, uh, to the insurer. So hopefully that will provide a little bit of added flexibility for, uh, for retirees. Um, and a little bit less headache for uh, for administrative staff on, on our end, right? Um, and then to, to Michelle's point, which she was just describing, 
Uh, some plans allow for uh, a conversion, or require rather a conversion, from a disability benefit to a normal form of benefit. Once the disability recipient, retiree, receives or, or becomes uh, eligible under the normal retirement provisions of that plan. Um, as you guys are probably aware, line of duty disability benefits are generally tax exempt or tax free. Um, however, uh, oftentimes what would happen is when the benefit would be converted to a normal form, uh, then the individual, uh, because of the coding on the 1099, would lose the tax exemption. Uh, but obviously, to no fault of their own, right? They're still disabled. Everything else is still the same. But uh, because of the, the way that the plan read and, and the coding of that plan, uh, they would they would they would have a, a loss in that tax uh, in that tax favor. So this goes to address that disconnect um, and now uh, allows for even in those cases where the plan converts the benefit to a normal form, the the individual for purposes of tax right would still be. Um, disabled and would still receive the same favorable tax treatment for, for line of duty or service-connected disability benefits. Um, and, and then uh, it also addresses, uh, with respect to Rule 72T, uh, which is that, that um, the regulation that provides a 10% penalty uh, for any kind of a quote-unquote early distribution. And so uh, for firefighters, for police officers, for, for first responders, there was an exemption uh, that once those individuals reached age 50 and a half, uh, they would be exempt from that 10% penalty. This goes a little bit of a step further and adds an additional exemption um, and adds the, the, uh, the eligibility for those who, who retire with 25 years of service, regardless of their age, um, and they would still be eligible to, to receive the, uh, the benefits um, that they're entitled to, obviously, uh, without being subject to that 10% penalty. So again, it just goes to, to addressing a, a bit of a disconnect with the way that some plans were administered um, and, and you know, the, the tax provisions governing the individuals or retirees. Uh, and on that last page that we prepared for the special report, it's really more focused or geared towards the defined contribution component or, or plans, so 401ks, 401as, 457 uh, IRAs potentially. Um, so, and, and it's really just informational, or if you want to use it as a resource, obviously, then having discussions with your tax professional or financial planner. Um, <clears throat> but, but happy to answer any questions that you guys might have. And again, I apologize for the inconvenience. I, I don't have any questions. Does anybody else? No, I'm good. No, I appreciate the, uh, the report, though. It's good. Um, I think we'll look over it and kind of. Digest it if you haven't already, because um, there seems to be a lot of, a lot of tax law stuff. It's a, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a great way to entertain people at cocktail parties. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, bedtime reading. Um, but all right, well, great. Well, um, the only other item I wanted to touch on was the uh, legislatively, locally. So Florida legislative session just began last week, uh, Wednesday. Um, and there was, there has been one bill that's been filed, uh, House Bill 3. Um, and, and this bill essentially would require fiduciaries uh, who are public stewards of public funds, right, such as yourself, <clears throat> to only consider, quote, unquote, pecuniary factors when they are making investment-related decisions. And so what that means is that 
standard deviation, alpha, risk, et cetera. But however, you would be prohibited or it would be impermissible to also take into account or consider outside factors such as those ESG monikers that we've, that we've read and heard so much about, right? So environmental, social, corporate governance, any kind of issue that is non-pecuniary, right? And, and they define that as part of the proposed legislation. Uh, would be prohibited or impermissible, and it would actually be a breach of your fiduciary duties, um, and, though, and, and, and so therefore subject to uh, potentially criminal action, uh, and that's part of the statute authorizing the Attorney General with prosecutorial powers. Um, this would apply, obviously, to, to local law pension plans, as well as to the Florida retirement system. Um, the, the, if you guys recall, last summer, uh, the State Board of Administration, which is run by the governor and two appointees, which the majority of those assets are for the retirement system. But they made it a policy decision to, to similarly only consider pecuniary factors and not consider ESG or, or anything else. Um, and, and so <clears throat> this goes, this new bill would go to codify that and, and make it into a law. Um, and again, affecting uh, any, any real public funds that are, that are held. And it would also extend to uh, qualified public depositories, so banks, trusts, any kind of financial institution that houses public funds has to abide by certain requirements in the statute to be eligible. And this would be an additional factor that, that those banks would need to uh, need to follow or adhere to. Um, the same with uh, municipalities, the local agencies that have bond issuance powers. Right. So anybody who's issuing a bond uh, would be required to really follow only pecuniary factors when they're making their decisions um, and, and not anything outside of that. So if you're issuing a bond for an environmental purpose or for some sort of uh, you know, diversity or an inclusion, for example, or something to that effect, uh, that would likely be prohibited under, under this bill if it were to pass. My understanding is that it does have bicameral support and it will pass, uh, maybe not in the exact way that it's written right now. But, um, but uh, you know, fairly close, I would imagine. But nonetheless, we'll keep you posted as, as session progresses and, and let you know what the uh, what the final bill looks like once we uh, once we uh, finish session and it gets sent to the governor's office for uh, for signature. Okay. And that's really it. That's all I had. Okay. Any questions? No. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Pedro. I appreciate it. Thank you for yes, all the sir. wonderful information. Um, that you bring to the board every every meeting. Thank um, you. I appreciate you. Yep. Uh, should we should we make a motion to accept your uh, special report? Secure Act 2.0. I th I, th I think I think just <clears throat> through board consensus, maybe you want to accept the report. But I will say, since we are going to be preparing an amendment, um, I think the board should authorize um, Doug once uh, once we finalize the amendment and, and you know worked it out or, or had it approved by the by the city attorney's office uh, authorize Doug to go ahead and prepare the the requisite impact statement okay uh, because that's a, that is that will cost the money um, I like to have that board expenditures as a, as a formal board action understood yeah that way we can move forward without having to go to another meeting uh, that sounds good. 
Excellent. Well, thank you. So um, I will ask the board to go ahead and uh, make a motion to accept not only the uh, special report from Mr. Herrera, uh, but also the subsequent uh, impact statement that might come up from uh, that report or any change in legisl legislator. I'll make that motion. Second? Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Rejection. Thank you. Thank you, Pedro. I appreciate it. All right. Um, consent agenda. Um, so hopefully we had a chance to review the consent agenda. Um, I'll ask for a motion to approve the consent agenda in its entirety. Uh, if anybody has any question on any of the things, um, we can pull it out and discuss it individually. I'll make a motion to accept the consent agenda. Right. In its entirety? Okay, good. All in favor? Aye. I'll second it. Oh, second, sorry. All in favor? Aye. 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 Oh, man. Too soon? Not enough. All right. Well, very good. Well, thank you all. I appreciate it. Um, we'll go ahead and uh, ask for our, my final motion to adjourn the meeting. <laughs> These guys have planes to catch. Don't give it. Don't give it. That's what yeah. we're doing. <laughs> I make the motion. All right. Second. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> had to do that. Yeah. Eight years. Hey, Michelle? Yeah. Something like that. Oh, I'm sorry.